0: Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today on Wednesday, December 20th, excuse me, Tuesday, December 28th. Boy, markets are seesawing both sides have unchanged in the soybean market. We'll talk about that in a little greater detail later on in the program with Arlen Suderman. We'll also talk about just how these market prices could impact planting decisions in 2022. Gary Schnicki will join me in segment two to talk about the projected break evens for this next year. And we'll wrap today's conversation by talking to Willie Vogt, the managing editor at Farm Progress, about a shortage that's developing in agriculture so stay tuned we'll cover that at the end of the show but first we're gonna go to ohio ty higgins the director of communications at the iowa oh, excuse me ohio farm bureau joins me right now ty thanks for taking the time to talk to us
2: hey mike thanks for the invitation
0: well i've been looking across the the internet this season and farm bureaus have been getting together really got started in earnest about a month ago ty ohio farm bureau meeting december 9th and 10th how did it go this year
2: Well, you know, uh, luckily, uneventful. There's not a whole lot that we didn't get done in 2021. There there were some things that are still on the minds of farmers. So you always talk about, uh, you know, land uh, lease agreements for wind and solar, which is a big topic here in Ohio, and and just talk about property rights in general. It's always a hot topic. But when you look back at 2021 and things we got done uh, here in Ohio uh, and on the national front for many of these, on the broadband front, Uh, worked uh, to get lower CAUV values for all of our farmers and and Ohio Farm Bureau members. We have great incentives uh, in place through uh, Governor DeWine here in the Buckeye State for H2Ohio, so a water quality initiative. Really just got a lot done because of uh, the pandemic uh, really causing some issues in in a lot of those categories and really kind of pushing lawmakers to realize uh, the implications of not getting some of these programs and some of these uh, problems that we've had over the last year and a half, two years, fixed.
0: Yeah, a global pandemic is a nice way to get some movement out of our political leaders. I wanted to talk to you, Ty, about one of the bills that was passed in Ohio, and this is HB 397. The idea being we're going to add some security to farmland leases. I know Ohio Farm Bureau worked on that bill. Uh, Can you bring us up to speed a little bit?
2: Yeah, so really this is just a guardrail for those handshake agreements, and it just passed through the Senate. We're still getting it on the House side uh, here after the holiday break. But this is really just to help farmers and landowners solidify these agreements and and really give them, like I said, guardrails to a termination, uh, whether that be at the end of harvest or the end of the year, whichever comes first. And so uh, this was something that was brought to us by our members, uh, handshake agreements. 20, 30 years ago, uh, you could really rely on them. But unfortunately, we have more and more people outside of agriculture coming in that own land and and leasing that land to farmers, and and we're starting to see some of these deals go awry or kind of lose their credibility, I guess is the way I would put it. And so what this bill does is is really uh, put some legal terms and and terminology in place to help these handshake agreements. We're all about handshake agreements. We really think that, you know, it still works to some extent. But there needed to be some type of law behind those handshake agreements to help out the landowners and the farmers uh, if there happened to be some disputes.
0: And my understanding is this bill would basically make Ohio, right along with the rest of the Midwestern states, you'd have to provide notice if you're ending a lease by September 1st, and then it would terminate at end of the year or end of harvest, correct?
2: Yeah, and that's something that Ohio has been looking at for some time. But our lawmakers uh, really didn't see... Uh, at the time, two or three years ago, when we first came out with this, we, we see all of the, like you said, our neighboring states, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Michigan, have these uh, types of programs in place. Uh, we really had to talk to them about why it was important for uh, our, our members to be able to have those guardrails in place. And we finally got it, like I said, through the Senate uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Now it's going to be moving through the House. And, and we, were only really, we got it through the Senate with relative ease, with only two or three no votes. So it uh, seems that we're on the right track to getting that passed.
0: Well, that's good news. And you expect in the Senate to get that passed, get it signed into law. I wanted to ask you about another issue that I've heard from several folks across the countryside, and that's solar farms. Ty, they've been going in. I've heard them in Illinois. I've heard them in Indiana. Are large scale solar farms much of a concern for the Ohio Farm Bureau membership?
2: Well, I'll tell you, not just a concern, but uh, a major issue for our members. And I'm sure it's like this in other parts of the country as well, but this is a divisive issue for agriculture in Ohio. Uh, It's really 50-50 of uh, those that believe that they have the rights to uh, put solar and wind uh, farms on their property and those that don't want to see it uh, right there in their so-called backyard. And and so Senate Bill 52 did pass, and what it does is it gives – uh, jurisdiction to county commissioners. So the three commissioners that sit uh, in each county would be able to designate areas for solar and wind development. Uh, we opposed Senate Bill 52 uh, and unfortunately it did pass. The reason for our opposition though is out those property rights I mentioned earlier. We believe that uh, every landowner should have the right to do what they want to do with their land. And, and what we saw, Mike, with this Senate Bill 52 was a slippery slope Uh, If if county commissioners are given the jurisdiction to talk about where wind and solar farms can go, may they be able to do the same down the line for dairy or for hog farms? Uh, Would they be able to, to uh, to oversee those other types of farms in agriculture? on down the line if we give them this type of leverage with wind and solar. So that's uh, one of the things that we really fought hard for uh, for our members. But at the same time, like I said, we had members that agreed with Senate Bill 52. So it it, uh, has caused consternation throughout rural Ohio uh, and, and really, unfortunately, has set neighbor against neighbor. And like I said, I'm sure that's happened in other parts of the country, too. But what a hot topic here for the last two years and something that won't be going away anytime soon.
0: No, I think you're exactly right about that. The dollar figures being thrown around by that industry are massive and property rights certainly matter. You mentioned that bill passed out of the Senate. Has that Senate Bill 52 been signed into law, Ty?
2: Yeah, it was signed into law earlier this year. And so now county commissioners do have the right uh, and we saw a lot of uh, emergency meetings as soon as it was signed of these commissioners coming together saying, uh, this is the power we have now. What do we want to do with it? And uh, we haven't seen anything done particularly uh, on, on that matter yet. But there have been meetings. Uh, there have been uh, a lot of uh, input by uh, you know, people in those counties about what they want to see with wind and solar. So uh, we are seeing uh, that law now being put into effect. And, and down the line, we'll see what it means for wind and solar and uh, we'll see what it means for the rest of agriculture as well.
0: Si, when you hear about this issue and the, the emotions it causes with this, this new law in Ohio, do you anticipate court challenges against different county boards of, of supervisors? Is that where this will lead?
2: You know, I don't know if it'll get that far or not. Uh, You'd like to think that common sense will prevail, uh, but there are so many uh, strong feelings uh, on each side of this issue that it may get down to a court case or two. Um, And like I said, we haven't seen that yet, Um, and we haven't seen much of an escalation in in what has happened uh, with county commissioners. We haven't seen county commissioners actually delegate areas of their county to be Uh, designed to have wind or solar developed on them or not. We haven't seen anything as far as that type of movement as of yet. But I think when we do, uh, there's going to be opposition either way to what the county commissioners say, and we're going to see it go to court. All
0: right. Court battles will continue. Ty Higgins, Communications Director at Ohio Farm Bureau, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today.
2: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it.
0: And folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, Professor Gary Schnitke from the University of Illinois will join us to talk about break-evens in the year ahead. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
3: Today, more than six million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves, If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.
4: Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Monk, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtncf.com backslash field
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the
1: world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back to AOA, the end of the year is a time for a lot of paperwork on the farm. Growers are looking ahead to 2022, figuring up their break evens. They looked at this next crop. Well, university professors are no different. Joining me today, Gary Schnitke from the University of Illinois, who last week published an outlook of break even prices for 2022. Dr. Schnitke, thanks for joining us.
7: Well, thanks for having me. It's
0: good to be here. Well, you mentioned in your report that we are going to be looking at record costs to get this 22 crop in the ground. Dr. Chick. you looked at Central Illinois farm ground. Give us the basics. What are we expecting? What are you expecting in 2022?
7: Yeah, if we're looking at uh, total cost, and this would be for producing an acre of corn. We're looking at cost over $1,000 per acre that's the first time that has happened on average in Illinois if it does in fact happen in 2022 a thousand thousand sixty four dollars is the precise estimate we're, we're looking at in central Illinois but uh, that is a record level and that's um, over uh, over a hundred dollar higher than the 20. Uh, 21 cost, and it again, there's a record level of total cost of producing corn. And uh, a lot of that's led by fertilizer, but all costs have gone up.
0: Well, that's the thing. You break it out between cash rent and non-land costs, and obviously cash rents have increased.
7: What have you seen in Illinois? Yeah, so we are expecting for central Illinois, and this would be high productivity land, so this will obviously vary across the Midwest, but we're projecting $309 per acre for high quality land in central illinois for the cash rent in 2022 and that is up from 284 the previous year um, i would note that there's going to be many rents in central illinois approaching even $400 per acre and um we're seeing a lot of those rents just go up and it's it's a combination of high commodity prices corn and soybean prices in 2021 and ex- continued expectations of higher prices in 2022 so those two things are leading to those higher cash rents.
0: they certainly are let's put these numbers into perspective you mentioned this is high quality farm ground in illinois what sort of corn production would you expect from this ground
7: yeah. So for 2022, we're projecting a 225 bushel yield. So 225 would be the trend yield for this county in, in, or this area in 2022. This year, 2021, they got yields of 235 bushels per acre. So very good productivity farmland.
0: It certainly is. Now, Dr. Schnitke, with the inflationary pressures happening in the background, do you figure land costs will continue to rise or at least stay strong, even if grain prices come down?
7: Yeah, that's a good question. And if we, I I think those cash rents will continue at those higher levels. And obviously in 2022, as long as we have these higher commodity prices, the minute we begin seeing those commodity prices come down, and let's say they go back to that $4 level that we saw from 2013 through 2020, that $4 level there, we're going to see a, a large cost squeeze on all farm operations, and and that, that will push those rents down again. Until we see those uh, commodity prices, we'll continue to see these high cash rents and um, and that that will continue
0: and of course we're also seeing pressure on the non-land costs side of the ledger fertilizer being the big one or at least the big mover this past year dr schnitke in illinois what have you heard from growers did most get it applied or get it purchased in the fall
7: yeah so we've we've we have a combination of those that have applied and those that haven't applied those that price their uh their their fertilizer early are going to do better than those that haven't priced those yet, and again, that's just the way it is this year. Uh, we have some farmers that priced their nitrogen or anhydrous ammonia in 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 uh, the summer and got a seven hundred and fifty dollar per ton price, and now we're looking at 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 that price per ton being over fifteen hundred dollars. So that just gives you a feel for how much prices have gone up, and that seven hundred and fifty dollar per ton price in the the fall was up from $450 the year before. So overall, we're seeing those fertilizer costs go up. And just to give you a feel, for 2021, we projected $150 of, of fertilizer cost. And for 2022, we're looking at something closer to $230 per acre. So that's up $80. And again, that's going to depend a lot on when those uh, fertilizer decisions were were made. And if we're waiting or we haven't priced it yet, that's going to be at the high end. And so that's just the way it is this year.
0: Yeah, the timing of that fertilizer purchase can make a big difference in the break-evens. Those are some volatile numbers this year.
7: Yeah, and this year we're... You're, we're going to have to do some budgeting come come spring and look at corn versus soybeans. And again, we're looking at fifteen to sixteen hundred dollar anhydrous, um, five to six hundred dollar per ton uh, UAN. So we're we're up there, and just have to see where that all comes out this spring and what sort of items that that causes us to do. I would really suggest farmers look at reducing rates. All of our all of our models would say our economic models would say, say that you we need to reduce those rates because of the high high cost of nitrogen
0: sure that's how high prices cure high prices and now gary i understand you also looked at soybeans those break-even costs have jumped a lot over the past year
7: oh absolutely everything everything is going going up fertilizer went up for soybeans as well dap and potash or our dry fertilizers went up um and, and and pesticides are going up. So I, all costs are going up, but the the, the leading ones on, on soybeans again are fertilizer, pesticides, um and, and machinery repairs, de- machinery depreciation, that whole power cost area um, is is gonna go up as well. So neither side our corn and soybeans are both uh, both facing those cost increases.
0: When you are figuring up your break even prices for this sort of report, Dr. Schnitke, do you incorporate a base level for family living expenses?
7: No, we do not. So um, we we do not. So that 1106, if if you think about it, that's just zero net farm income. and and uh, and that's not not going to keep the financial situation on the farm stable. Um, we generally in, in for a fifteen hundred acre farm. Given that we most of our farms also have considerable off farm in, uh, income from a spouse working or some other activity, we're look having to look at net farm income in that seventy five thousand um, dollar per farm range. To, to have sort of stability so this those break-evens get us a zero net income so that's that's not a stable situation that's just covering our cost and that just illustrates the level of, that those costs have gone up this year
0: okay so these break-evens with zero family expenses gary what were you using for a production figure for soybeans
7: yeah, for so for soybeans, we're looking at production of of, of 71 bushels per acre. Again, that's very good. Um, we've seen soybean yields increase quite dramatically in recent years, so we're looking at 71 bushels per acre. Again, that that that's a that's a very good yield.
0: Yeah, that is. I think a lot of folks would be happy to see that, Dr. Schencky. Before we let you go, do you have any thoughts? What popped into your mind when you were looking at some of these numbers, and how should growers navigate this challenge in 2022?
7: Yeah, that's that's a good question. One of the things that uh, we we note right now is that our our that we can um, lock in prices for fall delivery above those near five dollars for corn and twelve dollars for soybeans, which are above our break evens right now. We might want to do more more pricing now than we usually do. Um, not the whole crop, obviously, but but more than we usually do. Um, those prices. Uh, that we can get right now would cover our break evens given given a given a trend y- line yield so thinking more on the marketing side and getting our crop insurance we'll we'll be coming into that uh, crop insurance uh price discovery period and if those prices remain high take taking some pretty good crop insurance coverage to cover our risk but it also just does point out these high break evens um does point out the risks that are out there this year. So. Um, just let's be careful, do some marketing and get some risk management in place.
0: Yes, indeed. Keep those pencils sharp and manage that risk. Dr. Gary Schnitke from the University of Illinois. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been my pleasure. Folks, stay with us. When we return, Arlen Suderman from StoneX joins me to talk about the markets. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
4: For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts.
5: You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. U.S. corn and soybean export inspections declined during the week that ended December 23rd compared to the prior week. Corn and bean inspection volumes were both below the 10-week average. Wheat inspections exceeded the 10-week average last week. Mexico was a top destination for corn, China was a top destination for beans, and Japan was a top destination for wheat. In last week's export sales during the week that ended last Tuesday, December 21st, Funds purchased a net total of 48,604 contracts across the crop markets. Their largest activity was in the soybean market, where they added nearly 32,000 contracts. On the Board of Trade today, March corn trading 3.5 cent lower at 611 and a fraction of a cent. The May contract down four at 612 and three quarters. For soybeans, March down a fraction at 1371 and a fraction of a cent. November down 2.5 cent at 1274 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat. March down 17 and three quarters at 786 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat march down 19 at 829. The Minneapolis spring wheat march contract trading 13 cents lower at 1011 and a fraction. The May contract down 12 and 5 half cent at 1005 and a fraction of a cent. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning. A few asking prices are around $137 to $138 in the south, but are not yet established in the north. Packer inquiries should improve over the next two days. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. February live cattle trading 47 cents lower at 138.80. April down 20 at 143.47. Feeder cattle January trading 62 cents higher at 163.02. March up 75 at 164.02. In lean hogs, a February contract down 72 at 82.90. April down 22 at 87.50. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Well, welcome back to AOA. Lots to think about as you're looking ahead to those break evens for next year. One of the most important things, of course, to keep an eye on are the markets. Joining me now is Arlen Suderman of StoneX. Arlen, we're seeing the wheat market really move today, continuing yesterday's sell off. What's happening here in the wheat complex?
10: Yeah, as we look at the wheat complex, it's kind of defining a broad trading range right now. Whenever prices get up too high, we shut off demand pretty quick. So when we approach the recent highs, we start seeing both domestic demand and export demand shut off. As soon as prices break down toward the bottom of that range, we see a flurry of activity and demand come soaring back, and that's also conflicted a little bit with what we're seeing in the rail market right now. Uh, We've we've been seeing mills here in the central part of the country that have been paying upwards of three fifty, three eighty, even almost as much as four dollars. Uh, above the spot futures price just to get rail cars in. It's more of a factor of rail logistics than it is of a shortage of supply, although we're certainly not, uh, don't have an overabundance of supply of quality milling wheat either. So there's a lot of different facets of this, but the bottom line is that wheat demand is very price sensitive. When it breaks, we get a surge in demand. When it rallies, we see that demand shut off
0: arlen i mean looking at these numbers you know we're down a little over 10 cents in the chicago wheat several contracts today are we getting close to the bottom end of that range that could spur some purchases
10: yeah we're getting kind of in the middle of that trading range right now it depends on the market you're looking at whether you're looking at the chicago Kansas city or minneapolis market minneapolis market is more closely defined more well-defined uh, is high, being the highest protein market. One of the things that we're watching that I think will have an impact is the uh, Iraqi tender for wheat. Uh, U.S. hard red winter wheat should be well positioned for that. And, of course, there's a, quite an interaction between hard red winter and hard red spring wheat markets. Those supplies kind of play off of each other. Uh, Iraq issued their tender this week, and uh, um, we're expected to see as much as a half million metric tons being bought in that tender. Then there were some rumors that they were delaying the tender by a week or 10 days. Um, So a lot of lack of clarity right now. But overall, we think that they may need as much as maybe a million and a half half metric tons. Um, So quite a need there. And and if, in fact, that is true, and if they do draw quite a bit of that from the United States, um, then we could see things tighten up a little bit more here for the hard red wheats in the United States.
0: Arlen, as you think about tenders like this one from Iraq, and I'm sure we'll see some from Egypt as the year goes on and so forth, is, is U.S. wheat still price competitive? Does the strength of the dollar may hinder us in capturing some of these deals?
10: It is a problem. Uh, the dollar continues to be relatively st- strong and creates some competitive problems. Uh, then it comes down to the individual buyer and what their specific specifications are for the type of wheat, and that kind of determines which markets are even eligible to apply. Then it becomes kind of a price factor. Uh, the Iraqi tender, they're looking specifically at uh, U.S. or Canadian wheat specifications with the door there open for Australia. And well, you have to really ask how much Canadian wheat will be available in the window in which they want it shipped because of the short crop that they have there. That would leave it between Australia and the U.S. And then on Australia, you have to wonder with the quality problems they're having with this year's harvest, what supplies they'll have available as well.
0: All right. Lots to keep an eye on there. Turning our focus over to the corn market. Arlen, it seems like we're taking a breather today in the corn trade, just consolidating some of those gains.
10: Yeah, when you look at some of these markets and the amount of gains that we've had over the 2021 calendar year, that means as we get into index fund re- portfolio rebalancing next month in the 9th to 14th trading day, some of those are going to see some selling to rebalance their portfolios. And, and corn and soybeans are some of those markets that have seen quite a bit, and wheat as well, quite a few gains and may see some weaknesses. So as we approach the end of the year, some traders want to be able to, to pocket some of the profits that show on their books, also doing a little bit of pre- Uh, positioning for that portfolio, rebalancing. But overall, as we look at the corn and soybean markets, they're both kind of trading this morning some wetter forecasts for southern Brazil and Argentina, some of the drier areas there. Overall, the forecasters we follow don't have a lot of – confidence in those weather forecasts, but when you combine that tendency with the fact that we're coming up the end of the year and portfolio rebalancing and the thinner trade volume of this end of the year week trading, it does lead to uh, some erratic movement in the market, which we've certainly seen here over the last few hours.
0: Yeah, Arlen, you mentioned that dryness down in South America, Argentina in particular. Uh, they are a massive bean meal exporter. As you look out towards the end of 2022, do you think this uh, this demand for American bean meal is going to continue with a, a potential decrease coming out of Argentina?
10: Well, it certainly could, and, and we're watching production down there. We need to keep some perspective as of last week about three-fourths of their bean crop and and close to that on the corn crop was still rated good to excellent. Now it was in decline because of the heat and dryness, and I anticipate that this week's ratings that we get at the end of the week on Thursday uh, will um, show another significant decline, uh, but it's not like we have a total crop failure there yet. So there's a lot of opportunity to either get worse or get better depending on how long this La Nina pattern holds and keeps things dry down there and forecasters disagree on that. Um, And then the other factor we keep an eye on is how long we uh, maintain the shortage of uh, dry bulk lysine feed additive here in the United States, shifting, and not just the United States, other places around the world as well, shifting some of the distiller's grain demand into soy mill and helping elevate that demand.
0: Okay, well, you know, looking at distillers grains, the ethanol complex, we had a report uh, either last week or yesterday, um, looking at ethanol stocks, and they they dropped fairly substantially in the last week being recorded. Arlen, does this tell you that, that folks are driving more?
10: Uh, it it does. Um, we're we're seeing that movement, and it's amazing. You know, Omicron is numbers are pushed above two hundred thousand, two hundred six thousand. Latest data I saw this morning, as of Sunday. Um, on a daily case basis. That was a seven-day moving average, I should add. That's the first time that's happened since mid-January of this year, but yet uh, the symptoms tend to be more mild overall, it seems, thus far, and so people are still moving, and we've had problems with flights being canceled, and that's putting more people behind the wheel of their car to go to grandma's house or do their holiday plans and stuff. So we are seeing some of that. And the margins have been good for ethanol production. We've seen some demand there. And uh, so the margins have been good. And that demand for corn continues to be solid.
0: Arlen, what are you watching for uh, price targets here over the next couple weeks in the corn market?
10: Well, I think we just have to get through the next couple of weeks. That's the main thing without doing any real damage to this market. We've been climbing up here to, to recent highs. And, of course, if you look at the March contract it put in, it's high at 6405 And so that would be naturally something that would be a magnet to traders right now, but we need to get through next few weeks of the portfolio rebalancing end of the year and, and then the January 12th crop reports. And once we get beyond that, then the focus becomes. South American weather for the safrinha corn crop, which gets planted in February. Uh, How many acres will we plant in the United States? What are fertilizer prices and how is that going to impact production, not only in the United States, but globally this year? Uh, And uh, so it becomes a whole different dynamic once we get past January 12th.
0: You know, we're coming up on January 12th, hard to believe the new Year's just around the corner. Arlen, do you have some idea yet of what you're expecting in that January 12th uh, supply and demand report?
10: Well, at this point, we're looking for uh, modest downward revisions in Brazil's um, corn and soybean production estimates. I think they'll still be significant. Uh, We're going to come out with our production estimates that are based on a survey that's currently being conducted in Brazil among our customers on Monday. Um, But then uh, Argentina, probably no big changes there. Uh, The final production estimates are 2,021 for corn and soybeans here in the United States. I think USDA will will tweak those again. No major adjustments are expected, but that's when surprises happen. Winter wheat seeding should show an increase of winter wheat acres available by 1 to 2 million acres. Um, And then as we go into the quarterly stocks report, I think we'll show a little higher feed usage than what USDA is currently showing, um, but maybe we could see some downward revisions for corn and soybean exports. So a lot of adjustments in both directions, and I think it's going to create some considerable volatility on the 12th.
0: You know, how should producers who are looking at these prices right now manage some of that risk ahead of this report on the 12th? Is today a good day to, to do those things, buy some options, buy some calls?
10: Well, I'd say work with your local advisor. and. Uh, there's a lot of options that you can follow depending on what your personal situation is whether you're going to look at uh, straight using the board, whether you're going to look at the cash uh, sales, whether you're going to look at using some option strategies. There's also some over-the-counter um, tools that can be used to kind of put a floor in the market but leave some upside price potential. Uh, but going forward, I think that it's going to be a dynamic year in 2022 with fertilizer prices, crop inputs, really being the primary driver. And, and then we'll start to see the new demand for soy oil, the edible oils for these new renewable fuels that I think are going to change the dynamics as well.
0: You know, I think that's a great way to put it. 2022 will be a dynamic year. You heard it here from Arlen Suderman. Arlen, thanks for taking the time to talk to us.
10: Thank you, Mike.
0: And folks, when we return, we'll talk to Willie Vote about a shortage that's developing in agriculture. Stay tuned to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
8: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
2: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
8: Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute?
0: When you help care for a loved one, Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement
7: brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
9: The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
0: Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
11: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today we're talking with Steve Carlson, CHS Director of Proprietary Products, about carbon credit opportunities available to farmers. Well, there are several programs out there and available. What makes this carbon program different from the others? I would say the biggest thing that we
6: have when we look at the uh, offer from CHS and Bear is really the simplicity and flexibility of the program. That's one thing where you know a lot of growers or people starting us, they don't wanna do a math equation to figure out how I'm gonna benefit or what I'm going to receive for participating. We've really made it where it's specific practices, identifying specific fields, And if you're able to do those couple practices you get this specific reward so it takes a lot of the variability which i think is very important to growers and participants they just don't want to have that that level of uncertainty Uh, so i think this really quells that and brings some value
11: yeah i think value of time and incentives that's a concern for a lot of farmers when it comes to these carbon programs what do you think is the kind of the sweet spot if you will Uh, And what incentives does this program offer to farmers?
6: We've got two specific incentives around practices, and that would be cover crop and reduced till or no tillage, right? So that really is the foundation of the program. We're participating in both of those. The the grower can receive that $9 incentive. The other part that really comes into play is the use of saying, what else can we add to bring greater value and agronomic benefits? And what we've done here is we've also paired in a couple different things around nitrogen stabilizers as well as FOS efficiency aids. By utilizing those two technologies, you can really help with the nutrient availability and protection for that matter, bring some agronomic value, but then we can up, increase that overall acre percentage or incentive to $12 an acre. So it's really nice where you can kind of stack a few more things
11: to bring more value. Steve Carlson, CHS Director of Proprietary Products. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA.
0: We are talking about everything that impacts agriculture. One of the most important things that impacts agriculture is the people, not just the farmers on the ground or the folks handling our, our grain or processing our ethanol or livestock, but the people that design the systems that do all of that work matter in agriculture as well. And of course, I'm talking about engineers. Willie Vote, the editorial director at Farm Progress was recently at a convention and this issue was brought up. Willie, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Good to connect with you, sir. How things are going with, with you this holiday week? They are good. It's nice to have a a little holiday week here to get things started. But Willie, we've got to talk about engineering. It turns
1: out we might not have enough of them in agriculture. Is that right? I think think the challenge is that agricultural equipment and processes are getting so complex, we need more engineers than we used to need. And the challenge we have is, well, to be honest, there's less kids in four-year universities right now. There's been a declining enrollment, so that's number one. Engineering is hard. There's been a lot of push on STEM science technology engineering and math that's really cool takes a while but then no one ever talks about stem and agriculture because truly we are becoming more complex Um, data is such a big deal to us and analyzing that data but also the machinery i think what is it somebody said uh, one of the new john deere tractors has 200 sensors on it or some ridiculous number like that and how do those sensors talk to each other well then engineers are involved the person that i quoted in the story that i did on this made the comment that John Deere, and and John Deere's not the only company that's hiring engineers, but her comment was, they're hiring every kind of engineer but a nuclear engineer.
0: That's incredible. (laughs) It's incredible, the demand that's out there to keep this machinery and this system
1: operating, Willie. Right, but the challenge you've got is two things. One, there's the university challenge. Universities need engineers, right, to teach and do research. Well, universities don't pay the same as companies. So that's part of it. Then the companies need new engineers because of are complex systems. And the final thing is we're all in agriculture, Mike. And when I talk to somebody outside of agriculture and they say, what do you do? Well, I write for agriculture and I can almost see it in their eyes. The picture that forms in their head is that guy on that beautiful 8N Ford tractor with a straw hat and overalls going through a field. And you know what? We haven't done that a long time. I mean, heck, we've had ROP since 75. So I think that when you think about where we've come, the the thing is you need to go to those student engineers and say, you want to be a really good engineer working for a really unique product or really neat company, whether that's Deere or Case IH or heck, Corteva, some of the engineering's involved in all processes. You want to think about agriculture. And I think the story we don't tell is agriculture has a higher purpose. You know, some engineering, you're just making a better car. No offense, car companies, but, and they're making great cars, but that's great. I can just move my carcass down the road faster or more efficiently. When you work in agriculture, you're feeding the world straight up.
0: Yeah, there is, there's a moral calling to agriculture that you don't find in a lot of other, other industries. And did you get the sense from the folks you talked to as you were writing the story, Willie, that we're turning the tide. The emphasis on STEM will lead to more engineers down the line. Is this just a short bump where we might be squeezed for uh, some
1: labor? Well, the the article that was written for a, uh, ASABE, it still expresses some concern because it's a, it's a challenge. And partly part of it is the challenge of competition. I mean, we need engineers at Tesla. We need engineers at, you know, uh, food companies. And there's all these different areas. And I don't know, um, a lot of kids in school have moved away from engineering so I believe they think that it's coming up I believe that they hope that stem will get more children involved one of the things is the diversity uh, approach in stem I think is exciting um, first of all uh, I read a statistic actually it came up this weekend that more women graduated with four-year degrees than men that number has flipped well if we're bringing diversity to stem Engineering is a great place for for you know what math is equal and whether whether you're five foot four or six foot six math is equal. Engineering and science and physics are equal, so it doesn't matter who's running the running the computer. And I think that's really important. It's not muscle jobs; it's brains. That's that's true.
0: Well,
2: that's
1: a
0: great point. And diversity also means people from outside agriculture. But if you get them in, you've got to expose them to the whole egg system. And well, Willie, I know, extension does a good work of that. And you've been learning how those folks are modernizing their tools as well.
1: Yes, they they there was another paper. I was at the irrigation show and the ASAB has a uh, the irrigation sub of AS American Society of Ag and Biological Engineers has an irrigation subgroup and they present papers every 10 years. It was their sixth decennial at this event. It was a year delayed because of COVID and there were some good papers. And what this one paper brought up that was real interesting is that the the demands on extension are changing too, that um, the f- the, for the farmers that they serve. So you first you have the engineering challenge on one end, we need more engineers, we need more engineers at universities, the competition there. But the other side of it is the nature of extension is changing. Uh, the idea of that extension director would just hold a lot of field meetings Um, may need to change, especially that we're talking on the irrigation side. Um, Just sitting in a room learning about evapotranspiration, how that works is one thing, but more uh, challenges, uh, whether it's the Arkansas More Crop Per Drop competition or the Master Irrigator Certification programs that some universities are taking on, they're engaging farmers in new ways with um, model field challenges and competitions, and things that say, get get a person's brain going in new ways. I'm hoping that this will enc- encourage some of the younger um, ag extension folks to help get kids involved maybe in new ways so that they'll wanna do this as they go forward. This is a long-term issue, um, and but it's a concern right now. When you think about how complex our business is, it's crazy.
0: It is. It is absolutely incredible, the complexity in agriculture. And so, Willie, as you're thinking about Extension sort of revamping their roles, do you see them utilizing more virtual tools, digital tools, data components in Extension work longer term?
1: Oh, yes, they already are. I mean, I I, I was talking to one uh, one of my colleagues, a friend of mine at Iowa State University about this very thing, and they are doing so much stuff at, at Iowa State, Ohio State, those universities virtually. Um, weekly seminars. And I was talking to one who said, I said, so do farmers Are farmers engaged in this? He goes, our numbers go up every week.
0: There certainly is. The world is ever more interconnected, but we've got to have those engineers to keep those connections strong. Willie Vote, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Good to talk to you, Mike. Take care. And folks, we'll be back tomorrow with more AOA. Thanks for tuning in. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news
9: from around the world. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere whether you're in the shop on the combine or in the truck farm radio is right there with you this message brought to you by the national association of farm broadcasting
0: hey wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control you know you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest
5: Uh uh-oh
0: Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by
6: the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.